Well, today uh, uh, we want to think about the open invitation to discipleship. And it's not, uh, it's not a pleasant experience to be excluded when others are being included, is it? I mean, um, you get your feelings hurt if somebody in your class or grade or community or whatever is having a party and uh, most everybody else gets invited and you don't. That kind of hurts, doesn't it, that you're excluded. So, exclusion and uh, being excluded uh, are bothersome. They hurt. Sometimes it uh, is just simply irritating. If you watch an ad uh, on television and you see a, a car dealership saying that anybody can qualify for this car. And then you have to read the fine print or go to the dealership and find out that that means anybody who's got, uh, got this level of income and got a good credit rating and can uh, you know, make that standard. That, that's what it means for that. Or you want to upgrade uh, your package you got on your phone. You know, uh, your contract or whatever you've got with that. And you hear about a new plan being advertised. And so you go to your cell phone uh, rep and uh, you say, I want to I get this plan that's advertised. And they say, oh, no, you don't qualify for that. You've still got so much time left on the plan you've got. And you've got to complete that before you can sign on for any other plan. And so exclusions and fine print and uh, all those kinds of things uh, are not welcome in our life. We experience it, and it's not pleasant, but they're really not welcome in our life. So when most of the times we hear a phrase that says, anyone is welcome, or anyone can cash in on this deal, they don't really mean that, do they? There's always a catch. Well, this is the second week in the series of messages on Not a Fan, uh, where Jesus is challenging us to be more than fans and to be fully committed followers of Him. And I want you to hear that this is an open invitation from Jesus. There are no exclusions. It is the invitation that He issues to every one of us. It is an open invitation. He doesn't want any more fans. He wants followers. And He gives the open invitation to anyone who will follow Him. The first scripture is Luke 9, 23 and it's I guess it's the foundational verse for all of this about being a follower and not a fan. Because in Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, If anyone, see that's anyone, would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is the one that said anyone. There are no exclusions when it comes to the kingdom of God. The Augusta National Golf Club this week in Augusta, Georgia, home of the Masters, probably the most prestigious uh, golf tournament uh, each year, uh, made history, made the news this week. After all their years of being uh, an exclusive club and having no female members, female guests were allowed to play golf with other male males who were members. Uh, but this time they opened the door of membership to two females. And of course, they were women of power and prominence and also uh, probably with a, with a good uh, financial background. And that's Dolly Moore and Condoleezza Rice. Now, does that mean that Augusta National Golf Course or Golf Club is going to open their doors and is going to be a wide open invitation that any of us can join? Absolutely not. It's still going to be an exclusive uh, golf club. Well, again, that is not the case in the kingdom of God, and that is not the case in the call that Jesus extends to every one of us to be a disciple. Anytime Jesus invited a, a potential follower, he gave the invitation with the background and the operative word being anyone. If anyone wants to come after me, 
and follow me. Let him take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. Anyone. What does that mean for us when we hear Jesus say that? First of all, it means anyone is welcome. There's no catch, no fine print, no pre-existing conditions that exclude anyone from following Jesus. It's open to anyone. And when Jesus said anyone, the crowds would look at those who were following him and they would know that he meant anyone. I guess the backdrop of that, you've got to understand that back in that day there were rabbis who were, who were known as great teachers. And they were really schooled in the Old Testament, particularly the law, uh, which was the Torah, the first five books, and then, uh, then the, um, the, the prophets. And many people desire to be a follower, a student uh, of one of these rabbis. And it was a very prestigious thing to be a rabbi and to have these followers. But the rabbi had to know all this uh, about the scriptures. And anyone who would be a potential follower of that rabbi also had to have uh, a certain credentials and meet strict uh, standards. It's kind of like today if you want to go to Harvard, let's say, or any of the Ivy League schools, you better have at least a 4.0 coming out of high school and probably uh, a 1600 on the SAT, uh, maybe 32 on the, whatever the other one is that we take. And um, you also got to have probably a lot of money, probably $50,000, dollars or something like that, you know. Now, that's not the way it is when Jesus calls a, a follower. He said, anyone. He did not give any of these requirements. For some of these students who would follow after a rabbi, they had to have a lot of knowledge before they would come to that rabbi. Because he might say, quote me such and such a chapter out of the Old Testament. And they would have to be able to quote that. Or he might say, tell me the number of times the name of the Lord is mentioned in the 11th chapter of the book of Leviticus. And they would have to know that. I don't even know that. Hard to read through the book of Leviticus. It's boring. Fall asleep with all those rules and regulations and all of that. And so the, the, the rabbi had a reputation to live up to. But when you think about that band of followers after him, they certainly show us that there were no exclusions. And one in particular is Matthew. And the author of Not a Fan gives us a little bit of insight into that on this clip. When Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, he was making it clear that his invitation to follow is not just for the religious elite or for the morally upright, for those who have their lives together. His invitation is for all of us who are hiding some stains. Jesus said, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Anyone. Anyone is a pretty inclusive word. Anyone can follow Jesus. Anyone who's ever thought to themselves, I've gone too far, my stain is too big. Anyone who's ever laid awake at night and said, I can't believe what I've done. Anyone who's ever looked in the mirror and said to themselves, I can't believe what I've become. Anyone can follow. 
That pretty much described the followers of Jesus and the people of that day would look at him and say, what kind of rabbi is this? What kind of teacher is this? Look at his followers. Some of them were nothing but common fishermen. Several of them were political hotheads. And my goodness, one of them was Matthew. That's Matthew, the tax collector. Probably no one more despised in that day uh, than the tax collector. And these were the followers of Jesus. So Jesus says the invitation is open. It's not exclusive. Anybody means anybody. Secondly, anyone means everyone. There are no qualifying for this. There are no dress code. There are no prerequisites you have to meet. The kingdom of God and the call to be a disciple is to everyone. The gospel is for everyone. And it's open to everyone who will come and follow Jesus. John 3.16 is the heart of it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Everyone is welcome. The world. The world is open to the invitation that Jesus gives. Everyone is welcome. See, Jesus did not eliminate uh, the qualifications he also eliminated, just did not eliminate qualifications, he also eliminated all excuses. Because see, when the qualifications are gone, so are the excuses. And that's the third thing we would say. No qualifications means that there are no excuses. Just like uh, Kyle was saying there on the video, it doesn't matter how deep you've gone in sin, how far you've gone, what you've become, how ashamed you are of yourself. It doesn't matter your, your non-spiritual background. It doesn't matter who your family was or whether you had a family or not. It doesn't matter whether you've ever gone to church or not. You see, everybody is invited. Everybody can come. It doesn't matter. There are no exclusive clauses. There's no dress code. There's no prerequisites, no educational level. It's for anybody. Jesus came for everybody and anybody. But then here is the last thing. It's anyone, but it's everything. It's anyone but it's everything. When Jesus makes that invitation, the open invitation to you to come be a follower, to be a disciple, it's an open invitation to come. And it's for you and it's for everybody else. But you need to understand there's no fine print. It's right there as plain as it can be that Jesus is saying it's everything. It's everything. When one of these students would finally be admitted into one of the rabbi's schools, that student would leave everything. If he had a job, he'd lose the job. Had a, had a family, would leave the family. Had a home, he left his home. He did everything to follow after that rabbi. And wherever that rabbi went, if he decided to go to town, they all followed after him. If he decided to go to another town, they all followed after him. It didn't matter what the rabbi did. The followers did it as well. So, Jesus had his followers as he called them. Not like a typical rabbi, but he had one group of followers who fit the clause and description characteristic of anyone. Anyone. But it meant everything. How do we know that? Well, our second passage of Scripture is found in, later on in that chapter of Luke 9, beginning in verse 51, and we'll read through verse 62. I want you to notice the first section of here. Uh, where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and the attitude that he has. And we know what awaits him there. He's going there to die. He's going there to die for you and for me for our sins. And then he encounters three would-be disciples. Anyone. Any one of us could be one of these three. 
And I want you to notice their response to the invitation that Jesus gives to them. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, what do we see happening in, these, in, the, in this setting? Well, I think we see that he gives us the opportunity to have another perspective on this open invitation to discipleship. You see, oftentimes if we have the vantage point of seeing an opportunity or seeing a commitment from years of experience or whatever, we have a little different um, perspective on it. I heard a story about a, a town up north that was right on the border literally, of Canada and the United States. And for years and years, the two countries, Canada and the United States, uh, fought over who owned, that, who owned that town. What country was it in? And so they brought in a, a group of uh, surveyors, and they, they did all of the work necessary to determine the outcome of that. And they had a big town meeting uh, of all the several hundred people that lived there. And it was determined that the town really belonged in the United States. And so they became United States citizens. They had that affirmed. And one old man walking out who lived there all of his life said, I sure am glad that it's in the United States because I don't think I could stand another one of those cold Canadian winters. <laughs> he lived there all of his life. But it was just a different perspective, right? Now you might think, if Jesus were to come and give me that invitation that says, come follow me, I would understand that and I would follow that. that it's great to be included and have no restrictions, no qualifying clauses on me. To come, But would you? We're going to see three would-be disciples who had the opportunity to see the invitation to discipleship from another perspective. Uh, yesterday I had the wonderful opportunity, and this is one of the things as pastor I really like, um, not to, do, to perform a wedding, but to participate in the 25th anniversary and renewal of their wedding vows for Keith and Mary Ringer. And uh, we did it at beautiful Incarnation Lutheran Church. And there were three Lutheran pastors and this one Southern Baptist. They all had on white robes. You know, they all had on white robes and I had on a black robe. It's kind of like mourning when you go into, you know, in, go in the morning uh, for a wedding. But anyway, uh, I was given the privilege of having the little homily, the little message, the charge that I would give to them. And so what I gave to Keith and, and to Mary as an assignment in that charge was uh, what I give to uh, couples who are engaged in coming in to get married, that oftentimes I ask them, give me a list of 10 to 15 reasons why you want to marry this person. And then they share them with each other when they meet before me, and they've never heard those before. Okay? So what I gave Mary and, and um, Keith 
But the challenge to do was, okay, you've got 25 years of married life under your belt. You're here to renew your vows. Obviously, you're in this for the long term. Keith's already said, I want to book you for our 50th anniversary. You'll be back. And I said, uh, he said, you think you can do that? I said, well, you look re- relatively healthy to me. I think you'll make it to 50, you know, 50 years. But I said, after 25 years of marriage, then what I want you to do is come up with, each of you come up with 25 reasons why you want to stay married to this person or you have found to love this person in these years of marriage. And I gave the charge to their two children, Anna Marie and Christopher, that they've got to report to them within two weeks. Y'all going to hold them to that, right? Two weeks. Right. Okay. So it's just an opportunity to look at life and opportunities from another perspective. Now, before we get to these would-be or potential disciples, look at Jesus. I want us to go back and look at that because Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. And the Scripture says He steadfastly set out for Jerusalem, or He set His face towards Jerusalem. That means Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. And and the, the words that are used there literally describe a man who is bent over, maybe a shawl wrapped around him, facing a howling wind, but hunched over and making his way, determined that that wind was not going to stop him. Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he knew what was there. He would be betrayed, he would be arrested, he would be beaten, he would be spit upon, he would be mocked, and ultimately he would be nailed to the cross. He would experience the humility of being stripped and nailed to that cross and dying most horrible death one could die in a public place and have all the wrath of God's sin, sin, God pouring all the wrath of all sin God would pour on him. And he knew what it meant to go to Jerusalem, but he went steadfastly. He set his face to go. He even had some opposition there in a Samaritan village. But as he was on the way, he encounters three would-be followers. And the open invitation is there. And look at each one of them. They had the perspective of a new life and a new vision. An opportunity to do something great for the kingdom of God. And they all three made excuses. From the first one we learned this lesson. Discipleship demands more than an emotional, irrational response. In verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus didn't even invite him. That man obviously knew that there was an open invitation and anyone was welcome. And he started, he initiated the conversation. And he said, I will follow you wherever you go. That's what his word said. But in reality, he was a victim of an irrational, impulsive decision. And so we would call him the impulsive disciple. Now, why would we do that? Well, Jesus knew his heart. We'll see that later with what Jesus said to him. But this man had probably seen the glory and the splendor of all the crowds following after Jesus because of the miracles that Jesus had performed and the wonderful things that he saw Jesus do. And he saw thousands of people following Jesus and he said, that's the life for me. See, he wanted the glory, but he didn't want any of the glory. And that's why then Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What Jesus was simply doing is saying, it's open to anyone, but it will cost you everything. If you want to follow me, you've got to, you've got to follow with everything, everything that you have. This man was simply attracted by the crowds and the notoriety that he would get. 
And that's why he wanted to follow after Jesus. He was enthusiastic and he was emotional, but he was also irrational. Now, I think a decision to, to follow after Jesus has got to be somewhat emotional when you think about the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he died there. And it was an emotional experience for him to be separated from God, to be separated from his family, to be nailed there uh, in public and to die that agonizing death. There's emotion in that. And there ought to be a sense of emotion in our lives with gratitude and humble by what God did for us and bring tears to our eyes. But a decision for Christ is more than just that irrational, emotional decision. It's more than coming down front. It's more than going forward. It's more than being baptized. It's counting the cost of following after Jesus. Now, Jesus might not call us to be homeless like he was and to follow around in an itinerant ministry like he did with his disciples. But there's a cost involved in that. And some places of the world, followers of Jesus Christ pay a severe cost. We don't, but they do. And I think that's what Paul, out of his background, had to say in 1 Corinthians 4 when he said, To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment we have become the scum of the earth, the refuge of the world. Isn't that interesting? Has anybody ever called you the scum of the earth because they know you're a believer in Jesus Christ? I never have been. I've been called a lot of other things, most of it in church. <laughs> but I've never been called the scum of the earth. That's true in some places. And I think it's getting a little bit tougher in our country. You know, it used to be that if the church did its business and, and, and not everybody in the community was a believer in Christ and, and didn't go to church, that was okay. They left us alone. They just didn't t attend. They didn't bother us. They didn't persecute us. But they, you know, they didn't join with us. But now I think the tone in our culture is changing to where the church is coming under attack. Christianity is coming under attack more and more all the time. We need to watch that. But then there are other countries in this world where our brothers and sisters live in the threat of death every day. Places like Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, the Sudan, China, Yemen, Morocco, Iran, Libya, Tunisia, and Egypt. Those are the ten most repressive countries for believers according to the website on the voice of the martyrs. And those people live there knowing that their life is in peril because they dare to claim Jesus Christ. Every year, 160 to 170,000 people are martyred around the world. They're considered to be the scum of the earth simply because they believe in Jesus Christ. And they know what it means. That discipleship is an open invitation, no exclusions, but it costs you everything. Corey Timboon, the Worldwide missionary from another generation said, A true disciple has shallow tent pegs. That simply means that they know they're going to be moving on. Jesus was an itinerant teacher, itinerant preacher. He had no place to call home. And so he challenged this would be disciple to count the cost and don't respond just on irrational, impulsive action. The second one, we would say, teaches us that discipleship demands a timely response. 
See, while this first would-be disciple was impulsive, the second one was reluctant. In this one, Jesus initiated the confrontation. And He said to another man, follow me. And the man replied with what looks like a very logical reaction or answer. He says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And then Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, we'll call this disciple the reluctant would-be disciple. Unlike the first man who volunteered, Jesus called this one. And he seems to be making a, a, a realistic case. I need to go home and bury my father. Well, Jesus knew that wasn't the case. just like this man knew that wasn't the case. His father hadn't died. If his father was dead, he wouldn't have been out there in the open and in the public where Jesus was coming through with his ministry. What it literally meant was that he was the elder son who had the responsibility to stay close to home to mama and daddy and make sure that they were taken care of in their old age. And then when they did die and pass on, that he would see to the fact that they were buried, taken care of from life to death. So what he's literally saying to Jesus is this. I got these responsibilities at home. I'm supposed to take care of mom and dad. When they die and pass off of the scene, then I will come and follow you. And Jesus says to him in essence, there are so many people dying spiritually. You need to come with me and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus was saying, you have a wonderful opportunity. Do you want to stay home and bury the dead or do you want to go with me and raise the dead? See, Jesus knew what was in the heart of that man, that he was, he was the reluctant one. And, and in, to follow after Christ involves a timely response. Now, Jesus knew that this was the opportunity for this man to leave what was behind him and come follow after him because of what was at stake. But the man was reluctant to leave what was at home. He was a potential disciple who was hesitant. The opportunity was there, but he didn't take advantage of it. Have you ever had the opportunity to respond to an opportunity to do something for God, and you didn't do it, and now you come to regret it? I'm not sure I, I agree with the old saying that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But all of us have a lot of good intentions that we never follow through on. There's some people who go to their grave with a good intention of one day accepting Christ as their Savior, and one day following Him in baptism, and one day joining the church, and one day living a life for the glory of God. But yet something happens that always pushes that decision aside. There's something else more timely and more important that takes precedent over that, and that spiritual decision somehow gets pushed aside. Or sometimes you simply respond to it very late in life and then you realize, well, I've wasted all my life. Why did I wait so long? Jesus wants us to understand that the response is that we give everything and it costs us everything. But it's a timely experience because of what we will experience. What we will experience is that we will experience acceptance into the kingdom of God. Then I think the third disciple would be potential disciple teaches us that discipleship demands a total commitment to Jesus. There was a third one who said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. A realistic request, it seems like, on the surface. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We will call this would-be disciple the divided disciple, and that's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? He said, I will follow you, Lord, but first. 
I will follow you, but first. So he was simply a victim of his own indecisiveness. He was ready to follow, but he had some loose ends he needed to tie up at home. And on the surface, it seems like a, a logical request, doesn't it? Let me go home and say goodbye to my family. But Jesus knew that there was more to that with this man. If he were going to go home, he would be talked out of it. Maybe he would face a circumstance similar to the second disciple, potential disciple. And there would be those family ties that would be stronger. And so what Jesus is saying is, this is the optimum time. This is the opportunity for you. This is the time for you to respond. You've got to decide now. Why did he say that to him? How many of you are in sales? Hmm? How many of you are in sales? Sales. Sales. You quit selling cars? No? You in sales? Raise your hand. <laughs> Just been so long since you sold one you forgot it, okay? No? <laughs> if you're in sales and you've got the customer that on the edge... And he says, John, I need to go home and talk it over with my wife. What do you say? Bye. That's exactly right. Why? Because he goes home and talks it over with his wife. She's going to talk him out of it, right? Yeah. You want to seal the deal right there, right, Glenn Hedgecock? You got, it. You got the contract. You got him there. You want to bring him in and seal the deal. Jesus was saying, I want to seal the deal. You said you'll follow me. Let's make it official. Come and follow after me. And then he makes that statement about you can't plow a straight furrow looking back and you're not fit for the kingdom of God. We're not in an agricultural society, but we know that you can't plow something straight when you're looking behind you. You can't drive if you're looking behind you all the time either. In other words, he's saying you've got to be decisive whether you're going to live this life or whether you're going to leave this life behind and come and follow me. You've got to be able to sever the ties with the past because it's going to cost you everything. History tells us that when Cortez and his men uh, landed on the shore of Veracruz and conquered what is now Mexico back in um, 1519, he did it with only 700 men. And how did he do it? But as soon as he had all the men on land and they had all the provisions unloaded for the ships, he had, he had all 11 ships set fire. And those 700 men stood there on that new ground and they watched that only means of retreat burn. And they had no way to go except forward. No going back. All they could do was to go forward and they conquered that land. You know, in essence, that's what Jesus is saying. When you make this decision, the invitation is open. You're not excluded. But when I call you and you make this decision, it's the time to sever the ties with the past and move on. He tells you, you've got to count the cost. Says so you and I walk along, Jesus comes to us at different times with different opportunities to follow after him and be his disciple. We can be like these three would-be potential disciples with the opportunity to have a new perspective on life and, and fellowship and relationship with Christ. And we can say yes or we can say no. Because probably none of us are as deep in our relationship with Christ. We're more like fans than followers. And Jesus doesn't need more fans. He needs followers. This church doesn't need any more fans. We need followers. And the invitation to be a follower is open. The question is, will you respond? Will you be willing to make that decision and to respond now? 
Father, we thank you for the open invitation that you give to us for salvation, for life in your kingdom, for life in your church worldwide, and for the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ, to allow him to be our Lord and to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus and not just a fan. So I pray, Father, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to move among us in such a way uh, that whether public decisions are made or not, there will be those decisions made to accept your offer and your opportunity uh, to be a fully devoted, committed follower. For some, that will mean they need to take the first step to believe and trust Christ as Savior, make this their church home, make their decision public, be baptized to identify with you. For others of us, Lord, it simply means we're going to get serious about following you. We're going to examine every area of our life and see if we're willing to give everything to you. Everything to you that you need from us and that we'll be your disciples counting the cost. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move with conviction and power and that we'll respond with open hearts and open minds. In Jesus' name, amen.